Welcome to the Coach Cahill Show, an audio masterclass on how to move the needle on your performance and impact as an athlete, parent, or coach. Here's your host, Coach Cahill. What's up, Coach Nation? Coach Cahill here to discuss the underbelly of recruiting with Coach Brandon Napoleon of Geneva College today. Coach Napoleon speaks with a candor I found refreshing and cuts through the fluff of college football recruiting to give it to you the listeners, like it really is. Enjoy. All right, Coach, so how did coaching find you? How did the coaching bug bite you? Um, actually, it bit me after uh, I committed to West Virginia, after I uh, flipped my commitment from North Carolina to West Virginia, and I got on campus, and they said I could play quarterback to start off. That's why I came in uh, playing from high school. And when I got there, they made me a corner immediately. And right then and there was when I said, I'm going a, I'm to a get into coaching because I'll never do that to a player. You know, I'll never lie to a player. So from 2013, I knew I was going to be a coach after I got done playing. And it was just a matter of time. Um, I got done playing, had my XFL tryout, didn't make the team or whatever. And right after then, I, I tried to go right into coaching. I got my first coaching job uh, after applying to about 150 jobs. I got my first one, uh, D3 of Susquehanna University. And ever since then, Built some amazing connections throughout the game with some big time coaches. And, you know, now I'm a whole position coach only after a year. Um, a lot of people say it's hard to get full time. It takes eight years, things like that. But, you know, God bless me. And hopefully, you know, throughout the time, I could be a P5 coach. You know, that's that's the real main goal. But it, sure. it bit me in 2013, man. Yeah. So l- let's go back there. Can you, you mind kind of talking about, uh, I guess, what happened? So you showed up to, your school and then the coach flipped you from the position you said he recruited you at one position and he flipped the script on you man yeah and it's crazy because like i said i was committed to north carolina and i was a three-star coming out of high school so i had the full ride um i was cool playing defensive back in north carolina um a couple other schools like Rutgers, my hometown school offered me as a receiver in a slot and a kick return you know so i was different all over but i didn't have the west virginia offer until after bill stewart passed away dan hogerson came and he offered me as a quarterback because then Arizona, Coach Castillo and them guys who was at West Virginia left, and they went to Arizona. So obviously they were trying to bring me, and they offered me as a quarterback. So they were trying to compete with me at Arizona, West Virginia, so they said I could play quarterback at West Virginia. And when I got there, yeah, first day on campus, it was hyped because my dad was on the national championship, wasn't like the, when they was runner-up, but he played for West Virginia. So it was like the Napoleon's coming back. And so, yeah, I was hyped, and it was all hype. First day, number 20 jersey in blue. And I'm like, oh, no. So I <laughs> – as a young kid, you know, it's demoralized. I'm like, yo, you, you lied to me. And, you know, that's the, but that, now I know that's the game. I'm in the game, so it's the game. I mean, I'm not, I'm not lying to kids, but, you know, it's the way it is now. But they're lying and, and the kids are, are feeding into it. But at the end of the day, um, they did let me switch back towards the end of my redshirt year to play quarterback. And I started killing as I should have been. And uh, they gave me the decision at the end to play quarterback or switch, stay at corner. And they already done broke my pride. So I was like, I'll just stay at corner because I don't know what you'll do to me if I stay at quarterback. You know, might bury you on the bench. Because at that point, I threatened to transfer. You know, I threatened to transfer. I was, I'll leave tomorrow. And um, after right. I threatened to transfer, they switched me back to quarterback. So, Right. Yeah, but I think that that brings up a, a, a recurring – I've – found that as a recurring theme and I'm like talking to a lot of college coaches this idea of honesty um and it doesn't seem it I, there's a lot of good coaches doing good things out there but it seems like it it seems to be a, a recurring issue every year with recruiting um what's what's your philosophy of being honest and upfront with coach with 
recruits about their abilities? I'm not going to lie. So I was just talking to one of my uh, good friends about this. Uh, my Twitter DMs are crazy. So I get a chance to evaluate a player without even answering back. So I would rather be, I would rather not answer a player who I think cannot play for me rather than answer them and butter them up or answer them and tell them, no, you can't play for me. Because I think that's more disrespectful rather than they DM me. Like they're probably DMing a whole bunch of coaches. So my not answering you is not going to hurt your pride or feelings, but me answering you and telling you, no, you can't play for me. That's just the same way as me not answering. So I just don't answer players who I think can't play at the caliber that I would like them to, even at the D3 level. Now, if you can't play there, I'm going to answer you and show you love and now we have a relationship, you know, but I just, I, I won't even demoralize you like that. You know, even when I get up to P5 level, I'm probably not going to answer kids that, or not up to that potential. Or I might give them an encouraging advice, you know, gives everybody a different part of advice, but not to say they can't play, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And what would you say is the, when you know, when, you were, when you're talking to families and, and parents and players, even high school coaches, what do you think is the biggest misconception that you find you have to continually dispel for them that they have about recruiting? Uh, trust of the coach and trust that the coach not leaving. That's uh, the even D3 the staff stability, their kid wants to know if you're going to be here. But that's the first thing I get asked all the time. Are, are you going to be here? Are you going to be here? So that's the, uh, you got to negate that out of the parent's mind. Um, that's, and that's hard. You know, for me, like I said, I'm never going to lie to a kid. So a kid asks me if I'm going to be here for all four years. And like I just told you before, I'm trying to elevate to power five. My answer to him is God bless me to get a job and to put my family in position. I won't be here for your four years, you know, but I'm going to be here for your fall at least or things like that. Um, but that's that's really the biggest question I'm getting a lot. You know, I think that's just with, you know, the transfer portal going on. You know, a lot of kids are leaving right now, but oh also gosh, a lot yeah. of it's crazy. But also the coaches are leaving too. If you're at a football school or if you're in the coach portal, you see coaches are leaving just as fast as kids are leaving. So it's a trust thing that if coaches have with kids, there's a trust thing that kids have with coaches now. So I think that's the big misnomer you have to disclaim for surely. Yeah, I mean – I think when I was I was recruited as a punter and kicker in out of high school, and uh, I love the guy who had recruited me, and uh, like he just stopped picking up the phone like after like a couple of weeks, and I was like, "What the heck's going on?" And it turned out he'd gone to another college and never told me about it. I, that was just something I never even thought to ask, you know. And I, I think most families would be understanding, like unless you're Nick Saban, you're not making seven figures. Um, I, I don't think families know, like you said, they don't know exactly how high the turnover rate is for coaches. And you also mentioned the, um, the transfer portal. What's your take on the transfer on kids getting into the transfer portal right now, especially with what COVID's done to recruiting classes, basically nobody's clock ran the past year. So what's your advice on kids who are thinking about transferring? I don't know, man. It's, it's weird, right? Because you, it's sad. You see like, I'm a West Virginia guy, so like Darius Stills, he plays, he's an All-American, every All-American board team. He's at West Virginia, a power five. If he's at Alabama, he's an All-American on all every All-American board. He's getting drafted first round. But but since but since he's at West Virginia, a kind of power five, but lower power five tier, he goes undrafted. And a kid sees that and like home Tyke Smith, he was All-American sophomore at West Virginia and he transferred to Georgia. Because he bet on himself, he was like, "I, I, I see the light." So it is, it's a fifty-fifty. I would say, if you had SEC and you're balling, there's no reason to leave. If if you had a Big 
12 Big Ten school that's not Ohio State, Clemson, if you're at like a Maryland or something, and you had two All-American seasons back-to-back, I think it would, be, it would be smart to run it back or transfer out if you have other schools talking to you. And I'm not going to lie there, the, the poaching game is crazy. So, yeah, people, people, these kids know where they're going before they go on the portal. Believe that. They're not just going in the even, portal. Even though there's no legal communication allowed. Yeah. Exactly. They, yeah, they know they know they know what they're doing. So they're not going in the portal blind. Even when I went in the portal in 2014-15 when I was transferred out, I knew I had an offer to Liberty. Right when I went to portal, Liberty offered me. And right when I went to portal, Northern Iowa offered me. So I already knew I had a spot to go to. So these kids know where they're going. Yeah. And do you see um, – what do you think is the biggest thing that college freshmen struggle with when they're finally on campus? Freedom. This is it's too much freedom, you know, especially if it depends how you were at home. But it's, either, it's the freedom and the time. And I don't know if people understand. Like you have a lot of time on your hands. Like you go, you can go from one class to two classes and have two hours, three hours off. What are you doing those two and three hours? You're probably chilling, trying to get girls, you know, because you're fresh. You don't know what to do. You don't mean you don't have a, stru- a schedule structure yet, unless you're really like one of those dog freshmen. Like the people, the freshmen that you see playing right now, like big time freshmen, they probably doing all the right things. Their head is in the right place. The freshmen that you see pop as redshirt freshmen, they probably was. Chasing girls, doing what freshmen do, you know, partying and things like that, which is nothing wrong with it. They were just probably immature, and that's what they had too much time on their hands because I, I, I see it firsthand, you know. The dogs, like Carl Joseph, play as a freshman, you know. It's crazy, but then you have, my, like, dogs like Noble Wachuku, who became all Big 12 and got picked up by the Seahawks, but he got redshirted, you know. He was, he was my roommate, you know. It was – we had a little bit too much freedom. So I can, I can say a, te- a testament to both, you know, too much freedom is, is what freshmen get out. Get a cousin. I would say if you're a freshman, you get a cousin. If you get a, if you have a, if you hang out with a senior and get his like mindedness, you should be fine. You should be fine. Gotcha. And um, when you are, uh, when you're, when you look at, when you're recruiting a, a player, obviously you're looking for football traits and and all that. But what what really recruiting is is it's sales. And, and for a lot of kids, it's their first time trying to like market themselves, um, and they're not used to being told no like we don't watch you because like in high school coaches are a little bit nicer it's not their job not their full-time job um what do you see as one of the, the biggest problems with kids or with how kids conduct themselves when talking to coaches during the recruiting process uh, the biggest thing i see since i'm d3 uh maybe like they start off getting d3 love or get, get maybe like a let's go d1 they get a kent state offer right and then now they get a Big 12 offer, a Big 10 offer, and now they don't. They stop talking to the Kent State guy. You know what I mean? Like they stop talking to the little guy, not knowing that those those big time schools can offer you, but they can also over recruit you. And then now you're back talking to me. So that happened a lot. Like kids popping up right now. And I'm like, what happened? Not being disrespectful. Like what happened? They were like, oh well, this school told me this, but they didn't have a scholarship for me at the end of it. So I would say never never act like you're too big to talk to every coach that gives you offer because every coach that gives you offers opportunity it's an opportunity to go play football at the next level so i just think kids take that for granted they'll get a d1a offer and stop talking to them and then try to go try to go big time and then try to go back to the d1a and then they're all full now you're at the juco you know so just talk to every coach that uh, bless you with an opportunity to play at the next level yeah and, and you never know that 
that JUCO coach that you you big timed or that D3 coach that you just dropped, they might wind up as a GA or an assistant quality control guy at your dream school. I told him that all the time. It, you know, it's just it's different. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you've, I mean, you've got a coaching recently. We have a lot of young coaches that do listen, high school, youth, college. What do you think is the biggest mistake or biggest challenge that first time coaches face when trying to establish who they are uh, to their players? Trying too hard, you know, trying to, trying to mold their coaching after other coaches. Cause that's why I tried to do it at first. I was like, who am I going to be? Like, what is my identity? Am I going to be a yeller? Am I going to be chill? And then after like my first practice, like my first practice, I'm like, man, I'm gonna be myself because I'm a, I'm gonna be young, but I'm gonna be energetic. I'm gonna be, be myself, and that, that's my niche. Like, just be yourself. Don't try to be anybody else. Don't try to watch. You can watch clinics and learn, but don't try to be Nick Saban and be the hard guy if you're not the hard guy. Because players will see right through that. If you try to act hard and scream and yell, but you're really a chill coach who, like, I'm a, I'm not a chill. I'm a high energy coach, but we're gonna get the job done. And my indies and things like that, we're gonna execute at a high level. That's my philosophy, and that's what I live by. I'm not gonna dog you out and curse you out and scream at you. I'm, I want you to come to the sideline. We're going to talk it through and we're going to see what you did wrong so we can get better. I don't, there's no reason to yell. But a player can see right through that if I'm just screaming and yelling and I, that's not my temperament. So I think just being yourself, finding your own niche of who you want to be as a coach and running with it. Sure. And a lot of what coaching is, I mean, obviously the X's and O's are fun, but really coaching is just another avenue to develop young guys or, and, and players in any sport. Um, and really what it comes down to a lot is mentorship. Um, mm-hmm. did, did you have a particular coaching mentor at, you know, college or high school that really made an impact on you? Or do you have a story that, that conveys that impact? And, and if so, what, what was that? Yeah. I mean, when I got to Northern Iowa, um, you know, I felt like I was the man because, you know, you're trash from D1, you're going down and showing you love. But my coach, Brandon Lynch, um, definitely is the reason – I didn't, obviously, I said 2013 is when I got into coaching, but when I met Coach Lynch at Northern Iowa, my DB coach, he cared for us so, so deeply, more than football. He had us over his house, knowing that our scholarship checks were what it were, had us over his house eating, you know what I mean? He was just caring for us different. I was like, wow, this is what coach, this is what coaching is about, because obviously when you're big time D1, they do that once in a blue moon. This man was doing that every weekend. You know, watch an extra film with us. Dude's doing the extra, going the extra mile, and was there for us, catering for us. You know, praying over us. And to the, like, that's my mentor. So I can call he coach right now. Coach Lynn, he went from um, Northern Iowa, and he went on to East Carolina, and now he's with the Cleveland Browns, um, working with the corners. Like, so I can call him right now, and he'll answer. We can chop up for an hour and a half. That's my, that's my guy. He's my mentor, big bro, whatever you want to call him. So that, and it's just it. it it's just him and him as a person inspired me to. So if I if I were to mold myself after anybody as a coach, it'd be Coach Lynch. He he never was. He used to be high energetic, high energy, run up down the field. He'll dog he'll dog you out, but he'll dog you out in a tone where it's not demoralizing. Like he'll dog you out. Like come on, get better. Like you know what I'm saying. It, it, so that's why I'm I'm all, I'm all like come on, man, you can get better. And we will talk about it, you know. But yeah, that's my guy right there. So Coach Lynch, the Cleveland Brown shout out. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll tag him sure. for sure. Um, yeah, so it, you know, it doesn't take like a, a rocket scientist to flip on Twitter or the news and be like, like everything is politicized. It seems like sports are like the last, one of the few last places in the U S where like, generally speaking, we can all kind of get on board and say like, we're going to, we all agree that these are the rules on football 
And it's like one of the few places where like you're still forced to like rub shoulders with people you don't look like, you don't believe like, uh, mm-hmm. you don't worship like. Um, and this is more a culture building question, I guess. Um, how do you keep your player position group or your locker room united when it seems like everything outside of it is like trying to tear it apart sometimes? Oh, uh, that's a hard one because I ain't gonna lie, that George Floyd stuff, when that happened, it, it was it was weird. Cause I was at, I was in Texas at the time, and you know, Texas is a different beast. Um and I I was just, it was tough. It was tough. But the kids, it's all about the kids, you know, how they react. And like you said, if they see you, see, you can see right through it as an African American, like if if your brother is hurting and as a person who doesn't look like you was looking at you and they're not hurting with you or at least sympathizing or understanding, then we knew as a coaching staff and the players knew that that guy wasn't supposed to be on his team. So it was a couple of situations like that, but not a lot. Like the, the teammates were riding for each other. So we didn't really have to do any lot. We talked a lot at Midwestern State about team building and doing a lot of things to bring each other together and different walks of life. But at the end of the day, they really didn't, we really didn't have to implement that because they was there for each other. They was each other's brothers. And same thing at Geneva. Um, when I got here, it's, you know, it's a predominantly Caucasian school, but the, the brothers that are on the team, they, they, they are family to everybody. You know, it's, it's not, it's not like they're singled out. So I haven't experienced anything with that. Um, like you said, it's, it's a walk of life where even with, even with the situations that are going on now, politicized, we don't have to deal with it in any type of way because I think one, it's not tolerated. And two, if anybody does have any ill beliefs, they keep it to themselves because they know amongst the team setting that it's not going to be allowed uh, by any type of coaches or any players. You know, they, uh, somebody can be racist all they want behind closed doors, but as long as you don't say it's my face, I'm fine, you know. <laughs> that's how I feel about it. Gotcha. But but I think like what good what good coaches really do is they they teach empathy. You know, like you're, mm-hmm. and and that's like shoot. Like if you don't have empathy, you don't really you don't really have a democracy nah. because that's that's like democracy. Like that's the that's the grease that goes in the gears, man. And um and it, it until and luckily you know we we haven't figured out a way to live tweet while we play football so it's like again like sports are one of the few places where you can unplug from all that madness mm-hmm. um and just focus on the teammate next year um right. man um okay so when let's kind of transition back to the coaching advice or um did you find like so when you first you're obviously a hard worker uh hired you just like you said i love it when you first started coaching um, that was there like a, like a mentor, like Wiley veteran coach who kind of took you under his wing and maybe, or was there like one or two tools or hacks that you found that helped you better balance like work and your personal life? Cause I think one of the things that young coaches struggle with is like living in the, living in the, the coach's office. Um, if so, what what might be like one or two pieces of advice or, or hacks or tools you have that helped you kind of regain some balance? Uh, well, Susquehanna, it was it was kind of like a grind, like you said, in the office all day, all night. I had a girlfriend who's my wife right now, so you know, you have to make her happy, happy, happy wife, happy life. So, yep. what I used to do was I learned from my good friend Jake. Uh, he was at he was the D line coach. Was get all my work done early. So I'll get all my work done. Like we'll, I'll have the, the the plays drawn out, the script or whatever was needed to be done done. 
and then I'll just face, I'll be at my desk, just FaceTime with my lady, you know, did, you know, there's little things like that where I'll be able to go home for lunch, you know, because I don't have to work through lunch because I did my work or I could play noon hoops with the staff because I did my work. So if I was a new coach, I would say, do your work and you'll be able to reap the benefits. You don't got to stay after after practice and do everything. After practice, you'll have everything done that you have to have the next day beforehand. So I used to get stuff done. If it was, it was due Tuesday, I would get it done Monday morning <laughs> and you have it done already. So on Tuesday morning, I don't got to do nothing. I can be on FaceTime. I can do, do my stuff that I need to do Wednesday and be relaxing. You don't have to stress and don't have that have that pressure on your head when the head coach is beating you all day. Um, and the other thing I would say is, yeah, like get good night's sleep because you all going to be in the office. If you get a good night's sleep and get in a workout routine, I think a workout definitely wakes you up in the morning. <clears throat> you know, you see some coaches up at 5 a.m., 4 a.m., 6 a.m., but they're working out, you know, getting their stuff up for the whole day. I think the workout regimen to start off your day or even in the middle of your day would definitely make you feel like you're doing something rather than just sitting at your desk, you know, banging tape. Sure. And um, coaches, I mean, coaches kind of have this rap as being like these mother-like or these father-like figures for their players. Um, and it's it's one thing to, you know, know that, you know, before you have kids, but you recently became a father. Congratulations. Um, I know it's sure. still new, only a couple weeks, but how do you feel like becoming a new father has impacted or influenced your coaching or how you view coaching? Because, oh, man, it's crazy because I when I – I mean, it might sound cliche, but when I look at my son and I laugh and I smile and then I look at my players and when they're laughing and smile, it makes me laugh and smile. You know what I'm saying? The players are like, damn, they're like my, my kids because I'm with them more than I'm with my kid. I'm with them all day. You know what I'm saying? Even though it's D3, my players come up to the office, we watch film. You went like you wouldn't believe, you know, so they trusted me and what we do. So they're always around me. So. I would say that, that that bond is like they're like my kids, you know, all of them. Even when I was at Susquehanna and I left, that was hard. You know, I cried like a baby, you know, and I never thought I would, that would work. You know, it's like you're leaving your, leaving your kids, you know what I'm saying? And I'm getting not emotional to talk about now, but it is, it's a sensitive subject because it's, it's like every stop you go, you, 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 take, you take what, a group of 15 kids that you was around for a year or two who trusted you, believed in you, and then you leave, and it's tough, so... I would just say, yeah, all my players like my kids, man. They have a great bond, great relationship. Sure. I had um, uh, Coach Anthony Calgene from Akron on. Uh, his oh, yeah. episode's not out yet, but he's awesome. And he said, coaching is the best job in the world, but it's also the worst profession in the world because you're always – because it's the nature of college football to jump from place to place, whether mm -hmm. that's by choice or because you have to. Um mm -hmm. But yeah, and that's, I, I think there's a stereotype, like, especially when a coach goes to another school, it's easy for the players or, or the recruits to be like, oh, you know, you just cut and run. But it's not like it's an easy call. You know, it's you, not, it's just very hard. Yeah, there's almost, it's almost like a double standard in that, you know, take any other profession, like if you're like an accountant or something and it's like, oh, I could go get this, get a pay raise, get a better work-life balance. Your coworkers are like, do it in two seconds you talk to like coaching or teaching and it's like, well, you know, what about the players? And then you have that to contend with as well. Um, so, exactly. it's, so it's not easy for any coach trying to climb the ladder. Um, last question. And we'll kind of come down to the wire here. Cause I know you got to get back to your son. Um, knowing what you know now uh, from your coaching experience and playing experience, 
what would be one piece of advice you would have wished you had given yourself when you first started? Um, the advice I gave myself about the freedom, you know, if I, if I, I was, because the, we have freshman corners that played two of them and they weren't supposed to play. I was, the, I was supposed to be the freshman to play, not being cocky, but on the board and how it looked, you know, the stars and all American, all this stuff, how it looked and how it was panned out. I was supposed to be the freshman to play, but I was the freshman who partied and did all the stuff like that. I was chasing girls, ended up got a chance to play a little bit my rest of freshman year, you know, while I matured. So followed it, came with the mentality that I know as a coach now and just head down and grind, I would probably not coach right now, probably be in the NFL. So um, that's that's the only advice I'll take because after my freshman year, I used my time wisely and was more mature. It was it was it was good from there, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, um, if for for people listening, what would be the best way that you'd like them to get in touch with you, where they're not being like spammy? I didn't hit me on Twitter. I mean, everybody likes to do the email thing, but. It's easier. I'm I'm a young coach, so it's easier to follow me on Twitter. I'm I'm usually on Twitter. I, I don't like checking. You can email me. I'm I'm. I might get on the clutter. Might have some staff stuff in there. I might not see it. So Twitter will be better. Awesome. All right. One sec. Let me pause that there. And here's the out. Thanks for listening to the Coach Cahill Show. If you found today's show inspiring or helpful please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with a friend. Reviews and ratings are what help us continually attract interesting and engaging guests like the one you heard today. Remember, referrals are the best compliment.